Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. When I was about five years old, I went to the store with my mom. It was kind of like Walmart, but it was a regional store where we lived, and so it wasn't Walmart, but I wasn't really shopping for anything. I didn't have a very long shopping list there when I was five, and but my mom had some stuff she was buying, and so I was with her, and we're walking around the store, and we walked down this aisle. I remember, I mean, I have a pretty good memory of things when I was a kid, but man, I remember very specifically like what was happening there on that day. We walked down this aisle. It wasn't the toy aisle. Like, that was a different part of the store, but on this aisle, there were some toys. Like, I'm not sure if it was seasonal, like there was something they were trying to do, but there were some toys on this aisle. And as we're going down that aisle, I had been kind of in the cart and out of the cart, and I'm walking down the aisle, and right on a shelf that was kind of at my eye level, there was one of those, like, little, like, metal, like, little cars. And it was shiny, and it got my attention, and I don't even know that it was for sale there. Like, I'm not even sure that they sold these types of cars because it wasn't in a wrapper. It didn't look like it had been removed from anything. There wasn't a price tag on it, but there was just this car sitting on a shelf kind of at my eye level, and I saw it. And, and I, I knew, like, I, I'm not really supposed to take that, but, man, I wanted it so bad, and so I just kind of reached out. I kind of convinced myself, you know, it's probably not even for sale. It's somebody left it here. And so I just grabbed it and put it in my pocket. I remember thinking, man, I, I should not be stealing this car, taking this car. But I took it, and I grabbed it, and I put it in my pocket. And we, we went through the rest of the store, and we get done in the, the store, and we check out, and we, we go in the car, and I get in the back seat and get my seat, and my mom gets in the front seat, and she's driving. And you ever said anything that, like, as soon as you said it, like, you wish you could, you wish you could take it right back? Well, I was five years old, man, but I remember sitting in the back seat of that car and saying, like, man, I cannot wait to play with my new car when I get home. Uh, my mom kind of slowed the car down and she, she kind of looked in the back seat and she said, what new car? I mean, I'm still at that stage in my life when they provided me like everything I had, every toy, every piece of clothing, every food. Like, she said, what new car? And I, I, I had a decision to make in that moment. Like, is it worse than stealing a car if you lie about stealing a car? I remember at five and so I said, well, this car. And I took it out of my pocket and I showed my mom. She said, where did you get that? I said, well, it was, it was in the store. It was on one of the shelves. I don't think they sell it there. I think somebody left it there. She said, did you pay for that? I said, well, no. She said, you stole it. I said, I didn't steal it. Like, I don't think they sell it. Like, it was just sitting on the shelf. She said, did you pay for it? I said, no. She said, then you stole it. So we go home. Needless to say, I did not get to play with the new car. Um, we go home, my mom tells my dad. And my dad and my mom together make up a punishment where I had to write a letter to the manager of the store. I was five years old, so they probably helped me with the letter a little bit, helped me write some of it, helped me with the words, whatever. But I had to write a letter to the manager of the store that I had taken this car from, and then I had to go back and hand deliver the letter and the car to the manager. So we went back like the next morning. And we, we showed up, and what I didn't know then that I know now, because my dad's kind of told me the story, is he went in in advance, and he told the manager I was coming. And he said to the manager, now, you know, we want him to understand the full weight and gravity of what he's done here. And, and man, that manager took him up on that. <laughs> I felt like I was going to death row or something. And so I walked in, and I tucked my chin, and I'm, 
you know, lip quivering, and I hand him the note, and I hand him the card, and I say, I'm so sorry, I took this card, and I didn't pay for it, and I'm so sorry. And man, he lit into me, and just told me that stealing was wrong, and they lose money when people steal stuff in that store, and all, and like, my dad kind of stepped between us in case that guy was going to, like, punch me or something, you know, and so I remember that moment. There's really only two things I remember. I mean, I've told you the story, but the, the emotions, the feelings of that, of that moment in that 24-hour period, I remember two things very vividly, even at five years old. I remember that when I was standing there about to take the car, that it was wrong and I shouldn't do it. I remember that feeling. The second thing I remember is what it cost me to go back and hand him that letter. I remember the gravity of paying the consequence for the decision that I made. At five years old, I remember it. My parents did a great job when I was younger, you know, trying to help us understand that there were consequences for the decisions that we made. And, and I remember being there in that moment and understanding that what I was about to do was wrong and I shouldn't do it. And I remember what it felt like to have to go back and clean up the mess that I made for taking that car. Now, a few weeks ago, a while back, for some of you that may maybe were here, we, we talked in a different sermon, in a different context about Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2, and we talked about on that day temptation and sin. And that day when we were kind of working through that passage and in the week leading up to that sermon as I was preparing for that, this whole idea of temptation and sin really got into my heart, and I felt like the Lord was speaking something very specific to me to deliver at a later time and so we hit it in that sermon, but I felt like there was something else that God was even wanting to say. And so we're going to address temptation today. We're going to talk about temptation itself and about sin and temptation. And we're not in the middle of a sermon series, which is how we normally do preaching around here. We speak on the same topic or theme for every three or four or five weeks. But today is an open Sunday. We can preach on anything. And I really felt like this was the day that the Lord wanted us to talk about this idea of temptation and so that's what we're going to do. My, my favorite scripture, my favorite verse, I have several that I really, really love, but if I were just to boil it all down to one, my favorite scripture in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Some of you may be familiar with that passage. I want us to read the first part of that from the New Living Translation. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, just the beginning of the verse. It says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Now, that may be a new idea to some of us because I believe that a lot of us, when we start thinking about temptation and struggle and sin, a lot of times we have believed the lie of the enemy that what we are facing and what we are going up against right now is different from everybody else. And nobody can understand what we're walking through and nobody can understand what we're dealing with and nobody else is struggling with the same stuff we're struggling with. But let me just tell you, that's a lie. That's the greatest tool, I think, or one of the greatest tools that the enemy has and that he tries to use because he wants us to get isolated. Somebody told me after the first service, he said, how do, how do animals hunt? They try to find those prey animals, they, they try to, or they try to uh, prey on animals that are separated from the pack. And I think that's what the enemy does for us. He tries to get us where we're by ourselves so that he can prey on us and try to get us to, to a place where we feel like nobody, we, we can't talk to anybody. We, we can't use the strength of community and family and faith and a church because we can't really talk about what's going on in our life. And what this verse says to me is that the things that you're struggling with in your life, it may, not, it may or may not even be sin right now, but the temptations and the struggles in your life are no different from what others experience. And here's what I would say to you in about, I was almost miscounting in the first service, in about 14 or 15 years of doing ministry and being in ministry, 
in my life. Here's a truth that I believe wholeheartedly. That the temptation that you are struggling with right now, and I say that singularly, but I know that there may be two or three or four things that you're kind of wrestling with. I'm not just talking about the little things randomly. I'm talking about kind of the stuff that is recurring in your life. The stuff that just constantly is present in your life. That temptation or struggle or those temptations or struggle may not be the same thing that the person beside you is struggling with, but somebody in the room probably is. In 14, 15 years of ministry, walking with people, talking with people, talking with students and talking with families and couples and marriages, and like the stuff that you're struggling with is not different from everybody else in the world where you can't talk about it. It's the same as somebody else in this room. You just don't believe that. But when I sit with couples, my wife and I, when we sit with couples that are walking through rough times and they say, man, this is the craziest thing. And they tell us it's not the craziest thing we've ever heard because we heard it last week from a different couple. When we would sit with students after about nine or ten years in student ministry and that student would say, man, I'm going through something. You're never going to believe this. I could believe it because I had talked to another student the day before about the same thing. But the enemy wants us to believe that nobody else is going through the same stuff we're going through. And I'm here today to tell you that what this says is that the temptations in your life are no different from what everybody else is going through on some level. And so be encouraged today, not that you have struggles and not that everybody has struggles, but that you're not crazy. You're not an oddball. The stuff you're going through is the same stuff other people are going through. Romans 3.23, which will not be on the screen, says that all have sinned and fall short of God's standard for living. So here's what we know. The commonality of temptation And the commonality of sin does not mean you're crazy. It means you're a human being. Like there should be a little bit of comfort, not comfort and you just get to do whatever you want, but comfort in this idea that you are a part of the human race. And what you're going through means that you are alive and kicking and the enemy is trying to make sure that you don't stay that way. He's trying to kill you. He's trying to destroy you, but God is preserving you and keeping you and wants you to find victory in the places of your life that you're struggling against temptation, but there's commonality there. And so as we talk about temptation, we talk about sin, what I want us to do today is I want us to look at the most famous probably, but for sure the very first place that temptation shows up in Scripture. And it's what I referenced earlier. It's Adam and Eve. Genesis 1 and 2. So let's kind of set the story here. Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. He says that all the things that he's creating are good. Genesis 2, we see the creation of man and woman, and we see that God puts Adam and Eve, he creates them, and he puts them in the garden. He puts them in the Garden of Eden. And then later we see that the serpent comes, and the serpent's this wise and kind of skillful negotiator and talker, and he's kind of you know, changing and twisting some things around. And so he says to Eve something, and then she in turn kind of gets Adam involved, and they sin and they betray and disobey what God has commanded them. And the serpent said to them, didn't God say that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? Well, that's not what God said. And luckily, Eve was wise enough, at least in that moment, to know that that's not what he said. And so she kind of reversed what the serpent said. But listen to the words of God in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. It's not going to be on the screen, so you may want to write it down so you can go back to it later. Genesis 2, 16. This is what God said to the man and woman. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. Stop right there for just a second. Notice that God did not start from a negative connotation. He didn't start from a you can't do this perspective. He started from here's everything. There's freedom in life. There's so much that you can have. You can surely eat of every tree of the garden, but 
Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So I wasn't in the Garden of Eden. That would make me really, really old. So I wasn't there. But let's imagine that this table is the Garden of Eden. Now, he said, you can surely eat of every tree in the garden, but you can't eat from this one tree. Now, we don't know that it was an apple. That's just the imagery we use. So that we, it wasn't for sure an apple, but we're going to use that today. So he said, you can surely eat from every tree in the garden, but you can't eat from this one tree. Now, where do we live our lives? Where did Adam and Eve kind of end up hanging out? I don't know what every day was filled with, but we know on the day that they fell into sin, when they fell into temptation, they were hanging out right here. They were just hanging out by the tree hanging out by the fruit that they should not take part in. And the serpent's talking to them about this tree, and they're close enough that they can then take the fruit and eat the fruit and eat of the tree that they weren't supposed to. They're hanging out here, focused on this one thing that they can't have rather than enjoying all that they could have. Now, maybe every other day they were over here and they were just kind of doing life and living life. Maybe that's what every day was like. I don't know. But if they are anything like me, I think even as they were enjoying the garden, they just always made a trip by the one tree they couldn't, couldn't eat from. Maybe I'm the only one, right? I just kind of feel like that always was their route. Like, I'm going to go on a morning jog, Eve. I'll be back in a few minutes. And he, that jog always took him by that tree. That's kind of what I feel like. But you can have anything in the garden. And yet here's where they ended up. This is what they do. This is what we do. This is what I do. I focus on this, and I'm looking at the. I don't even like apples. I, I don't like them. I, I'm just not a fan. I eat them every now and then, but I don't, I don't even like them. But man, if I stand here long enough and I get hungry enough, I'm going to eat the mess out of that thing because it, it looks really nice. I mean, it's a good, big apple. I mean, it's, it's probably juicy on the inside. And, man, like, I, I think I could convince myself that this is what I needed. You can surely have anything in the garden but that. And we, we just end up hanging out over here. I, we just come around, look at it from the other side. Oh, yeah, it looks even better from this side. This is, that's a good-looking apple right there. Don't we? Now, again, I, I wasn't in the garden. I don't know. I'm not a gardener, planter guy, outdoorsy person. So if I say anything wrong in the next few minutes, just, just pray for me, all right? I don't know that all of this stuff grows on trees. But I kind of feel like, like they could have just been walking around going, hey, I'm going to pull a banana from this tree and just eat a banana. Like, you can surely eat of anything in the garden. I'll have a banana now. The guy was like, yeah, I gave it to you. Go ahead, have it. Right? They're just eating a banana, a peach. Just, hey, just, I don't know if that grows on a tree either, but just, yep, eating a peach. Yep. Oranges, grapes. Just walking around, pulling grapes off like it's the, the supermarket. There you go. Just, hey, just popping a grape in, just eating, you know. I don't know that it did. But what if you just reached up in a tree and grabbed the Snickers off the tree? 
in the garden. You weren't there. You don't know. You don't know. There's two bars in this one. That seems like the blessings of God. I'm not throwing this one out. I'm keeping this one. Right? But, I mean, you just walk around in the garden and just be like, thank you, Jesus, for your blessings. Thank you, Jesus, for your blessings. Right? You don't know. You weren't there. And yet, when they could have had Snickers trees, this is where they ended up. This is where they were at, hanging out. Like, I don't know that there was. I mean, there's strawberries and blueberries, and I think that's cantaloupe right there. I'm not really sure. I think that's what the sticker said. There's watermelon. What if watermelon grew on trees in the garden? That'd be an amazing tree. Just kind of, you just walk up and just pick it, right? You just chop it. I don't know what Adam did, but like they didn't have knives. They could just chop it open and it just falls seedless, right? You don't even have to spit. Like it's just the garden. It's the blessings of God, right? I don't know that they had it, but what if you just reached up into the glazed donut tree? <laughs> you don't know you weren't there. They may have had it. Sin corrupted the world. It could have started in this perfection over here. They just walked up, and I'm not going to do that to y'all. Right? But listen... <laughs> Some of y'all know me. I'm taking that dozen home with me. But you just walk around picking, picking out of the glazed donut tree. But instead, they found themselves over here. You can surely eat of every tree in the garden. And yet they focus their attention on what they couldn't have. God said no about one thing. He said yes about everything else. And they focused their attention on the no of God instead of the yeses of God. What if obeying God, what if overcoming temptation was as simple as that? Just saying yes to the things God said yes to and saying no to the few things God has said no to. Like what if it's that simple? Like, sometimes we get caught up in the no, right? Why can't I have this? It just seems like an apple. It's probably good for me. Why can't I have that? Why can't I do that? Like, we get caught up over here, and we forget about this. I'm having to do this as a parent, right? I have four kids, my wife and I. Last night, we had to help our oldest child see this. He's wanting to do something, and we had to say, no, I don't care if your friends are doing that. You can't do this. Why? This step here that he wants to take is not bad, but we see something he can't see. Down this road is trouble. If he keeps going down that path, it's trouble. And so we say as loving parents, you can't go that way. You can't do that thing. No. There's all this other stuff you get to do. Focus on that, not on this no. And yet every single time we do what my, my 11-year-old does, and we go, why can't I? Why can't I have this? Why can't I have this now? Maybe I can have this later, but I want it now. Why can't I have this now? This is where we hang out. What if overcoming temptation was just saying yes to the things that God says yes to and saying no to the few things that God has said no to? What if it's that simple? What if we just turn our attention toward the blessing and the favor of God that he says you can surely have everything in the garden rather than hanging out by the one thing, the two things, the three things, the four things in our lives that we cannot have because we know it will destroy us. You ever gone grocery shopping when you were hungry? Isn't that terrible? 
I went not too long ago, not for like dinner foods. We had three boys in school this last school year. We'll have four kids in school this fall. And we go through lunch meat like every 45 minutes. And so we were trying to make school lunches. So we woke up that morning and Corey's kind of getting the kids together, getting the kids ready. And she's like, hey, we don't have enough lunch meat. Can you run to the grocery store? So I ran down to Publix. It's not too far from my house. I ran down to Publix. I was just there for lunch meat. But I didn't eat breakfast before I went. And that was a terrible idea. And in Evidently, the most direct route to the lunch meat aisle was straight through the baking aisle. And so when I left the grocery store, I had a bag of lunch meat and a box of no-bake Reese's Cup pie. Because I love Reese's Cup pie, and in that moment, it seemed like a great breakfast idea. And so I walked out with something that I didn't even need, and at a different time, I probably wouldn't even want it. But because I was hungry, it looked appealing, and so I said yes. Matthew 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's a promise here right at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus that he says, If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is right standing before God, he will fill you and quench that hunger and thirst that you have. The problem is, I don't always fill up on righteousness. I fill up on other stuff that constantly leave me hungry. So when I'm standing next to temptation, I think I'm starving. Instead of being here filled up, not hungry, not thirsty, I feel like I have to have this or I'm not going to make it. It's like going grocery shopping when you're hungry. Jesus said that he was the bread of life. He told the woman at the well that if she would drink of him, she would never thirst again. And if I would drink of him and the things of him and devour his word, if I would hunger and thirst for the things of God, I believe it wouldn't exempt me from temptation. It wouldn't mean that I would never make a mistake. But I believe when I find myself in a place of temptation, I would be less susceptible to want to do it because I am filled up on righteousness. I'm filled up on the things of God. My wife and I went on a cruise this last week for vacation. And you know one of the things that I love about a cruise there's just food all the time. Two o'clock in the morning, I'm hungry. Pizza for free. And on the way back to the room, I'll get an ice cream cone. Like, it's just free. The other thing that I love about a cruise is you sit down at the meal, and they bring you a basket of bread. I can eat bread just about any way you can make it. They bring me a basket of bread, and I was like, I'll have another one of these. He said, there's still bread in the basket. I was like, there won't be when you get back. Like, I'm going to eat all of this bread before you get... I, I was hungry. Here's what they do, though. They bring you the bread at the beginning of the meal, so you fill up on the bread, and when the real good food comes that you actually want, like you have to leave some of it, or you're supposed to leave some of it as leftovers because you're so full. I think that's the same thing that we should see. Like if Jesus is what, we, if he's the bread of life, like we fill up on him so that when we get all this other stuff, like we're not even hungry anymore. And yet what we do is we don't fill up, we don't hunger and thirst for righteousness we're not trying to drink of the things of God, and so we find ourselves in a place where we are more susceptible to temptation and sin because we are not filled up. And so you can surely have anything in the garden, and yet we hang out over here. 
And I know some of you are like, you've already said that. You can quit doing that. But this is what we do, isn't it? And that's why instead of thinking about the blessings of God, focusing on the yeses of God in our lives, we find ourselves in tempting moments where something is placed in front of us that should not be appealing to us, but it is. Our marriage is struggling, it's on the rocks, and so there's somebody that's starting to take us seriously. Somebody that laughs at all our jokes. Somebody that affirms us, makes us feel important. And it looks very appealing when my attention is focused here. Instead of when my attention is focused here. Maybe there's an addictive behavior in your life, whatever that may be. And you know, like I did when I was standing with that car on that shelf, that you shouldn't do those things. You shouldn't give in to the temptation of these addictive types of behaviors. But man, when you're in the moment, you feel so weak. You are not filled up on Jesus. And you're so weak, and you don't even feel like there's anything you can do other than this. Like, it's just, that's all I can do. That's all I can think about. I have to do this. Instead of focusing on the yeses of God. The blessings of God. You can surely eat of anything in the garden. And yet we're hanging out over there. We're just, we're just hanging out, looking at stuff, taking part in stuff, doing stuff we know we shouldn't do. Because we're not filled up on the things of God. We're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness with the promise that we would immediately be filled we go grocery shopping on empty, and we end up with a whole bunch of stuff that we don't need. So how do we overcome temptation? Like if, how, how do we handle temptation in our lives? Like I don't want to simplify it. I know that temptation's a real struggle. I know that there are a lot of things that we're facing today. But how do we handle it? How do we overcome it? I want to give you two things today that I believe will help us to overcome temptation The first of them is you have to reframe it. Reframe it. What you have to do is when you're standing in a moment where temptation is before you and it looks enticing and, man, you you think I've got to do this, I've got to have this, I want this, whatever that temptation is, big or small, instead of focusing our attention here and neglecting everything over here, we have to reframe it. We have to put other things in the frame. And we have to view temptation through this lens. Because when I'm looking through this, that doesn't seem nearly as appealing to me. Like there's donuts right here. And a Snickers right there and fruit that other people will eat. Right? Right? I'm telling on myself here today. I'm I'm so sorry if you think less of me. But this fruit is available after church, but I'm taking the Snickers and donuts home. But if I'm standing here, I have reframed the temptation. Over, it doesn't look anything like what I want when I'm standing here. So the person on the job that's not my spouse looks totally different when I'm looking through the lens of my family. 
When I'm looking through the lens of our history and a first date and my kids and awkward conversations I would have to have down the road, when I reframe the conversation around what's this going to look like down the road if I give in to that addictive behavior over there continually, time and time again, why don't I look through the blessings and favor of God and trust that God is enough rather than looking for something that I don't feel like I have yet? I have to reframe the temptation. Include the blessings of God into the lens that we view that temptation from. And so I have four reframing questions for you today. Four questions that I believe in a moment of temptation, in a moment of strong temptation, when you're trying to figure out how do I reframe it? Like this illustration works, but in that moment, I don't know how to do that. Here's four questions I think you can use. Here's the first one. What is the worst possible circumstance if I say yes to this? Don't view it, because here's what we do. It, it's, it's car buyer's remorse. We're convinced in the moment we have to have the car until 24 hours later when we realize we have to pay for the car. Right? So what's the worst possible outcome if I say yes to this? I'm not talking about being negative here, but I'm saying I don't want to play out just the positives, because if we do that, which we have a tendency to do, we focus on the positives, we convince ourselves that this is going to work out for us in the end. So think about it from the other perspective. What is the worst possible circumstance, the worst possible outcome that could happen if I say yes to this? Here's the second one. If I were full on Jesus, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, would I say yes to this? If I'm in this moment and I'm weak and I'm, I don't even know that I can say no to this, step back for a moment and reframe it. The promise of Matthew 5, 6 said that if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. So ask yourself this question. If I was in a different place, if my relationship with God was where it needed to be, if I was reading God's word, if I was praying like I should be, if I was listening to things that were of God and built up my spirit, if I was doing that, would I say yes to this? I think most of the time it's easily no. I would not say yes to this. If I were full on Jesus... Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Would I say yes to this? That's the second question. Here's the third question. What freedom or blessing am I neglecting to choose this forbidden thing? So again, reframe it by saying, what am I actually giving up to choose that? Like, what's this going to cost me in the long run? What's this going to cost my family? Is it going to cost my job? Is it going to cost me something else that maybe is a little, little less physical there? What am I neglecting of the freedoms and the blessings of God? What yeses of God am I saying no to so that I can say yes to something God said no to? What freedoms and blessings of God am I neglecting to choose this forbidden thing? And the fourth thing is this, fourth question. What lie is the enemy telling me that makes this appealing. What lie is the enemy telling me that makes this appealing? Because there's always a lie. There's always a half-truth, partial truth, something different than what God has said, some disobedient thing wrapped up in that. So what lie is the enemy telling you that makes this appealing. You have to reframe it. You have to change your perspective so that you're viewing that temptation in light of everything else that God has blessed you with and laid out in front of you. 
And so you have to reframe that temptation to be in a better position to know how to respond to it. And here's the second thing you have to do. You have to refrain from the temptation. Reframe and refrain. Those should be up on the screen so you can see how to spell that. You have to reframe it and you have to refrain from it. And again, I know, man, when you're standing here in this moment, you look at it, you go, I, I don't think I can say no. I don't know how to refrain from it. I don't know how to stop. I'm not sure how to say no in this moment. I want to take you back to my favorite verse in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We just read the first portion a few minutes ago. This is what we read earlier. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. But listen to this truth. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. I know when you're standing in this moment, if you're not full on Jesus, man, you just think, I can't, I can't do it. I got to give in. I got to do this thing. I got to go there. I got to have this. I want this. I need this. You convince yourself of whatever it is you need to convince yourself of to do this. If you can reframe it, you can view it through the lens of the blessings and the favor of God. That's a lot less appealing when I'm looking over here. And then refrain from it. And you say, well, I'm too weak. I don't know how to do that. I would say, remind yourself, God's faithful. And he promised us that you wouldn't be tempted beyond what you could bear. We quote that kind of thing a lot. Like when we're in just ugly situations in life and life's just beating down on us, we're like, well, God promised us we wouldn't have to bear more than we could endure. And God promised us we wouldn't be tempted beyond what we can bear. I don't necessarily think that's all about just bad things happening to us. Like you're going to go through some bad times. A relationship with Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. You don't get like three wishes to get out of it for free. There's no get out of jail free cards. Like I think you're going to have to walk through some dark days in your life. I believe that. The Bible tells us it rains on the just and the unjust. There are some things you don't want to go through you're going to have to go through. That's not what God's promising here. What God is promising is that when temptation comes your way and you don't think you can make it through, he's saying, listen, this is not too big for me and it's not too big for you. You can say no to this. You can get out of this. And not only that, but he says after here, after it says that he's faithful and he won't let us be tempted beyond what he can bear, beyond what we can bear, it says this, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Sometimes the way out is before you ever get in. And sometimes the way out is right while you're in it. And it requires a hard decision and a hard conversation and a lot of strength and willpower. It requires you maybe to cut off some relationships and to get out of some places that you want to be and to get away from people you want to be with. But he is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure. Some of you this morning, you're saying, well, yeah, but man, I've, my apple don't look like that because I've about eaten it all. It's, it's gone. Like I'm, I give in to temptation all the time. 
Scripture also tells us that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our unrighteousness. God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and eighth chances and 22nd chances. And so today, if you came into this room and you've heard us say it a couple of times, we don't, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're walking through. I'm not sure where, where life's got you right now. I'm not sure what tool the enemy's trying to use to destroy you. But when temptation comes your way, just try to say yes to the things God is saying yes to. All these things. And just try to say no to the few things that God is saying no to. Just reframe it enough to position yourself to view temptation through the lens of the blessing and the freedom of God. And refrain from it by recognizing that God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, we'll provide a way out for you to endure it. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's going to be looking around. I just want to give you a chance in this moment personally to search your heart. To determine what it is that God might be saying to you individually this morning. Your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you would say to me today, Jeremy, I've got some temptation. A temptation, some temptation, some struggle, some struggles. And I need God's help to make it through. I need God's help to help me reframe it, to see the blessings he's already given to me and to refrain from it by knowing he's faithful that he's giving me the strength to overcome. And just with nobody looking around, Jeremy, I just want you to know that so you can pray with me. I just want you to lift your hand right where you're at. There's a bunch of hands in the room. You can put them right back down. Anybody else? Anybody else? You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. I want to pray for these people that have lifted their hands. And I want to pray for all of us. Just asking God to Give us his strength and to help us in moments of weakness to know that he is strong and to help us to know that if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that he will fill us. I want you to pray with me today. And if you lifted your hand, I want you just to pray and ask God, God, help me. Let me find your strength in my weakness and let me know that you want me to live victorious no matter what the enemy's trying to tell me. God, I pray right now for every person that lifted their hands. God, I thank you today that they had the courage to do so. And God, I pray that they would recognize that there's commonality in temptation and there's commonality in sin and there's commonality in struggle, that no temptation comes against us except that which is common to man. So God, help them not to feel isolated. Help them to know that they have something in common with the people in this room and with human beings all over the world. And so today I pray that you would help them to say yes to the things that you're saying yes to and to say no to the few things that you are saying no to, to reframe temptation, viewing it through the lens of all the blessings and all the freedoms that you have given to them. And God, to refrain from temptation by leaning into your strength in moments of their weakness, to find the way out that you are providing so that they can endure. And God, I pray that you would help that to be the reality for the people in this room that lifted their hands. And God, today for every other person in this room, I pray for all of us today, your strength. I pray that we would not give in to the distractions and the tools of the enemy that he would try to use to destroy us. But I pray, God, that you would help us to find you, to turn our eyes to you, 
the author and finisher of our faith. God, you're writing a story in us. So Lord, I pray that you would help that story to come to pass in our lives as we find victory in you. I rebuke the enemy now. God, we believe that you are more powerful. You are greater. It's been a theme today than anything that we are facing. And so God, I ask you to allow freedom to come to pass in our lives, freedom from sin, freedom from addiction. God, overcoming power against the temptations that we would face. In Jesus' name I pray. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.